0: What's this week's sports on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson, and we're talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, after a few weeks' absence, he's back in the hot seat. We've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talking all things Sport in Salford and beyond.
1: Most certainly there are, it's been far too long since I've heard your dulcet tone, so I'm happy to be back on the airwaves,
0: joined by everybody in Salford. It's going to be a great show. We'll start with the football, James and Manchester United. Um... Two games this week, a home win against Spurs, 2-0. A good result for Hentag.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The Tottenham win a fantastic one, Fred and Fernandez bagging the goal. And then the game against Chelsea, a late equaliser from Casemiro. And what was particularly good for me, Rob, was how much it meant to him. Over the past few years, we've seen on this show before, we've had attitude problems in this dressing room, haven't we? But we've brought in a ball winner by Casemiro, who
0: truly wants to get the job done. Yes, lots of screaming when he scored which is great, like you say, shows passion shows commitment to the cars and like you say, World Cup winner as well, and he will know uh, what it's all about, he's played the highest level with Real Madrid, um, so he knows how to win games. He most certainly does, Casemiro, as good as they come
1: and slowly but surely, Eric Ten Hag is injecting this winner's mindset into the team, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, refused to go on against Tottenham, and before we get on to the impact that's Ten Hag has made in his decision around Cristiano what did you make
0: of the motivation behind the player making such a controversial move yeah I think obviously uh, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo um, thinks he's still the main player of Manchester United but it seems like Manchester United have moved on uh, and Tag knows this he obviously by the look of it isn't interested in the uh, the theatrics behind uh, cristiano ronaldo and if he doesn't fit in the team he won't play him and obviously ronaldo isn't quite happy about that storming off the field before the match has finished is not great uh, for team uh, bonding uh, he's done it before in this season as well i think he did it in a pre-season game so you know it's it's not like he's done it before so it's a, it's a different situation i'm sure being the, the manager he is, he needs to show that he is in charge. Uh, I know he obviously dropped Ronaldo from the, the Chelsea uh, squad, uh, which is which is a blow for Ronaldo, because obviously he wants to play in the biggest games, doesn't he, James? So to miss that game will be a real kick in the tee for him. It will be. And over the course of the summer, Cristiano
1: Ronaldo was desperate to leave. Manchester United looked like a sinking ship. But Ten Hag has managed to make it buoyant again. And with that, we're sort of growing past Cristiano Ronaldo. There's not that worry of keeping him in the squad anymore. And where does that leave him? Because
0: his leverage is almost gone. hmm that's the thing you see. Obviously, you know, with Ronaldo uh, as Manchester United moved on, um, and obviously he wants to be the big fish. But at Manchester United, if you're not performing every week, then you could be easily forgotten, can't you? And that's the that's the thing about Cristiano Ronaldo. He doesn't want to be forgotten, does he? Especially, at, you know, the the stage his career is now. He needs to be playing week in, week out. Um, and does that mean he has to go, you know, down a level? Can he still perform at the highest level at team? Teams at highest level, do they want him in in their team? That's the big question. Has he had his moment in the sun? I mean, he's inhibited his chances of moving
1: to a big club because he's shown how poor his attitude is, hasn't he? Mm. I mean, nobody's really wanting to sign Cristiano right now. He's 37 years old. He wanted to leave Manchester United predominantly because he wanted Champions League football. And all these teams who are big within the Champions League aren't after him. So it's got to be interesting to see if he drops a level. And would he be willing to? He's somebody who throughout his career, despite his advancing age... He's kept trying and trying. He never, he's never out of the gym, is he? He's always grinding through the gears, always trying to get better. But at some point, Father Time catches up here. He's hit his ceiling. And I don't think, like your David Beckhams and your other greats, I don't think he'd be willing to go to America. I think it hit his ego too much. So could we be on the cusp of a Cristiano Ronaldo retirement?
0: It could. It could happen, James. Obviously, like you said, uh, players who reach a certain level um, sometimes don't know when to bow out. And, and that's why then, you know, the t- likes of Beckham and Gerrard go to America because they're still clinging on to the fact that they can still perform at the highest level and they want that ego massage. But if Cristiano still thinks that he can play at the highest level, it's going to be hard to find a club to... to, to, to to buy him and, and to keep him happier for me, uh, will he go to you know America? Will he go uh, to to China, where the big money is, and where he could possibly uh, build his profile even more? Even though Cristiano Ronaldo is a massive you know th- profile in football, uh, to go to America uh, would be a big impact, just like the likes of Pele and, and George Best and Bobby Moore when they went to American uh, soccer in the in the seventies. Would it have a bigger impact than that when? one of the best players in the world, uh, goes to America or China. And that depends on Ronaldo, because obviously he must think he can still perform at the highest level, even though in that situation they're going to be throwing loads of money at him. Yeah, it make a massive impact. Uh, from a
1: financial perspective, Ronaldo doesn't necessarily need it. That doesn't mean he's, he's definitely going to turn down a pound coin if the offer comes his way. But he's had opportunities in the past, hasn't he, when teams in China... And that sort of realm of the world have been interested in him, and he's turned them down due to his desire to play at the best. I think if he did go to America, it'd make a massive impact on the league and the sport's only growing over there. I just can't see it happening right now.
0: Hmm. I suppose in in America that their sort of bubble of, of football is only so large. Would his ego, um, you know, will it be able to fill that bit that bubble? Obviously, he wants to be seen as Brand Ronaldo, which he would be in a way. But in America, he played in a let's say like a farmers league. But it's it's not one of the best leagues in the world. Does it get the the coverage that uh, that you know the some leagues get in the world? Not I'm not sure. And obviously, Gerard went over there. David Beckham went over there. But it wasn't every week. We weren't seeing goals and assists from both Gerard and Beckham uh, every week. They only showed magic moments didn't they really so will he get that constant um, media attention playing in America that's a big question
1: he most likely wouldn't I mean he'd get a bit of course off the American press he'd be constantly trying to get interviews with him but slowly but surely his presence in world football would go down and even the greats that do go over there they're lacking that motivation aren't they because they're not being tested on a week-by-week basis. They're not going to grind through the gears to compete with Premier League defenders. They've mm. got to grind through the gears to compete with, with mediocre defenders. And if you don't have to train as hard, you're not going to be as good, ultimately.
0: Yeah, because you what it is, you're playing with also runs, aren't you? also runs and has-beens, really. And, and, and he, uh, to show that he is the best, has to play with the best and... With, with America and, and with sort of Japan and China, it will take a player to go over there at the peak of the powers to convince people to, to make that, that leap. And that's why I think America and China have struggled to attract these players. The only way they attract them is pay big money, but then you pay, pay your mercenaries who want to just turn up for the pound, don't they? So it's a difficult situation for Cristiano Ronaldo. He's played at Manchester United at the moment, but Manchester United have, have moved on as a team and don't fit his... Uh, Um, You know, strength now, so it is a problem for him. It most
1: certainly is, and I don't think we've seen a big-name player at the peak of his powers head over to America, have we? I know, obviously, Oscar went to China a few years ago, didn't we? And then his career completely curtained off, and he's not quite fulfilled the potential we expected him to. But a few minutes ago, you mentioned Steven Gerrard, and it's fair to say he's not had the greatest weeks.
0: No, no, he's not. And obviously... You know Villa. People talk about Steven Gerrard being the next uh, Liverpool uh, manager, and to go to Villa and not really do too much is, is a bit of a blow for him and his his big ambitions of, of going back to Liverpool and becoming their head coach. Will he need to go back to another club? I know he led Rangers to a you know a successful period of there. Uh, You know, recent history, but is that enough for him to get the Liverpool manager when Liverpool manager job when Klopp moves on? I don't think so. So it will be a blow because he thought Aston Villa will probably be a stepping stone to that Liverpool job, but obviously Aston Villa aren't performing very well, ran out of patience, and now he's uh, looking for a new job. I mean, after everything he did at Rangers, we expected Villa really just to be
1: a bit of a a stepping stone, didn't we? And Mm as you say, that Liverpool job now looks a million miles away.
0: So why does he go from here? Well, that's a good question because obviously these teams they want success, don't they? And we, we talk about you know Frank Lampard and, and his journey uh, and getting get you know released from from Chelsea and now is at Everton? Kind of as he turned the corner, at Everton on a good run now mid-table, at, you know of, of the Premier League. Um, He's the kind of manager that if, if he wants to take that next step and get another job, like the Chelsea job or the Liverpool job, he needs to push Everton into that sort of top four, top five, um, you know, group. But Steven Gerrard now has to find a mid-table club who will take the risk on him, because that's the took the risk and, and, and lost. They'd have to find another club who's got ambition and money for him to purchase players and take them to the next level. But there's not that many clubs around, is there? There
1: most certainly isn't, I mean there's going to be some some vacancies at some point and it'll be interesting to see if these clubs want Steven Gerrard at the helm after doing a relatively poor job at Aston Villa, Mm. but a team who struggled, who we didn't necessarily expect to struggle at the beginning of the season is Leicester, they've got Manchester City to deal with at the weekend at home, a City team with Haaland, who's absolutely cruising through defenders, leaving them quaking in the boots. One of the greatest starts to a Premier League campaign I think we've ever seen from the big Norwegian. How are Leicester going to deal with him?
0: It's going to be a problem for, for Leicester, obviously. Like we said before, Brendan Rodgers is another example. You know, Tottenham took Liverpool to a league title. Um, they re- they released him after a while, and, and he's at Leicester now. That He's on a bit of a rollercoaster at Leicester, let, let's be fair. But they are a club in transition, and obviously Man City playing fantastically well, Haaland on fire, uh, I think it's 17 lean goals in 11 games at the moment, so there, there is, you know, there'll have to be a plan to try and stop Haaland from scoring, but I think he's playing in a Man City team that can create chances for him, and you can't just say, right, we'll just concentrate on Haaland and not let him score, because they've got so many different options, Man City, uh, and you leave these top, top players like uh, De Bruyne and 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 bold and upholding in space, uh, then obviously they punish you. So it's going to be difficult for anyone, not just Leicester.
1: Yeah, I mean, every single team in the league is struggling to deal with him. I I know Liverpool gave it a valiant attempt and, and they got the victory there. But all in all, Erling Haaland seems to be a player who can seemingly do anything and at the start of the season, there were those who, who doubted him and said that he wasn't going to quite rise to the expectations, but he's proven beyond doubt that he's got the skill to become one of the very best players of the planet, if he's not already in that bracket already. 22 years old, scoring goals for fun, rocketing up the goal-scoring uh, rankings in the Premier League, I and mean, he's already almost certainly going to win the Golden Boot. But an interesting perspective from Alan Shearer. Who said that had Harry Kane joined City, he'd have scored just
0: as many goals as Haaland. Do you agree with that take? I don't. I don't because I think Haaland, is just. He's just so physical. He's so fast. He's got sort of you know, state stature, and he's a, he's just a menace in it. And teams just haven't figured him out yet and that's the problem, but with Man City, uh, they just put the ball on the plate for him, don't they? And he just has to score. Uh, with Harry Kane, he's been in the Premier League for a long time, people know his game, and even though you're going to put him in that Man City team, and he's, and he's going to get lots of service, people know how to deal with him. It might take um, t- you know, teams a season to figure out what how to deal with Haaland, but at the moment, we're not on the same page, I mean, to be fair, we're not in the same galaxy. He's scoring so many goals, you know, defenders are just terrified, I know he went to Liverpool, and City won and he didn't really have a kick. But they always say with Anfield, it's a special kind of place and the crowd sort of get in your ear. And, and in a way, it, 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 it did happen. To be fair, City did have a, a goal disallowed and it was disallowed because he sort of fouled the defender. So it's interesting, obviously, people saying though that he went to Liverpool and didn't score. But, you know, he'll, he'll score many more goals as easy. He, he could be topping 40 goals if he carries on at this rate. And don't forget... With the World Cup coming up at Christmas time, he's going to have a month, two months off where he's going to be sunning himself on a beach while the rest of uh, the world are, uh, are slashing it out at the World Cup and he'll come back in January, super fresh. Everyone comes back tired and he'll come back some more goals.
1: Yeah, he most certainly will. Erling Haaland just seems to be looking better and better and better and at the moment, nothing's stopping him. However regardless of how good they've been this season, and the fact that everybody seemingly is making them, it, essentially making out that it's a one-horse race for the Premier League, and at the moment they're not at the top of the table, Arsenal are, do we think that Mikel Arteta's men
0: could genuinely put a run of form together and possibly challenge City for this title? It's a good question, because obviously with Arsenal, everyone thinks, oh, they'll drop off, but... Arteta's got on playing good football you know they're used to winning is it four points clear at the moment Um, we're relying on them getting beat and if they keep winning you'll only get to a point where they'll get towards the finishing line and they're still playing like this football and they're still scoring goals still winning games and it doesn't matter how many times Haaland's going to score Long Arsenal keep doing what Arsenal do and if they keep winning 1-0 like the the glory days of Arsenal uh, they'll end up winning the title Yeah, they most certainly will. Now looking towards our other local side, Salford.
1: Not the greatest result, a 2-0 loss at home against Stockport. We're currently 8th in the table, but just a point away from the player positions. We've got some big games coming up. We've got Hartlepool, that should be winnable there at the bottom of the table. And then a complete juxtaposition,
0: because we're playing late in Orient as well, and they're at the top. Mm. It's it's a mixed... uh... Next bag uh, for, for Solford. Obviously, they beat Rochdale in, in the in the cup midweek, and obviously lost to Stockport and. They just need to to get a bit of consistency. They can't sort of win a game and lose a game if they want to get promoted. James, they need to be able to to string a few wins together, and we're hoping that they'll be able to do that. Uh, but it will be tough, obviously. You know, the fans down there uh, at the Peninsula Sable will want to, you know, urge the, the the boys on, and I'm sure people listening at home will want to get on that, uh, you know, journey uh, with the, uh, the Salford City, uh, and hopefully it will become a, a successful one uh, come May
1: yeah most certainly will we're hoping anyway looking at some of the other stories from the week Neymar uh, closing on a deal with Chelsea Toboli the new chairman is desperate to bring the Brazilian to the squad and it's looking like a deal could be
0: struck well I think with Neymar he's like Rabinho, isn't he you know I mean he, he comes to the Premier League everyone's so excited but does he have the stomach for it I know you know he's got the magic but he seems to sort of miss games tactically over Christmas as well, you know. And we play a lot of games over that kind of period. Does he have the bottle for it? We say that, didn't we, about Messi and you know his uh, you know sidestep of the Premier League is it going to be the same with Neymar hopefully he'll come to the Premier League and and light it up and and then he could possibly be sort of crowned one of the greatest players of all time but I suppose the problem with Neymar is that Paris uh, PSG he's got Messi there as well so he's in the shadow he's in the shadow a bit really so he needs to get out of the shadow and prove uh, that he is the greatest footballer of our generation going forward
1: yeah, it's interesting to see the generation just slowly switching, aren't they? I mean, over the course of the week, Kareem Benzema becoming the oldest winner of the Ballon d'Or at thirty-four years old. I mean, we'll have a look at the list in a minute, but the likes of Messi, Ronaldo,
0: not breaking the top ten. Mm, yeah, like you say, it's it's changes, times are changing, aren't they, James? And you know, a lot of people did say did say through the years it's a it's a two horse race for Ronaldo uh, and and Messi. But there's lots of good players who during that period never. Never won a, a Ballon d'Or, so is this the point where we're able to to give them the Ballon d'Or? But in you know, a, 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 like a lifetime achievement award that you were fantastic three years ago, because we had this cartel of Ronaldo and Messi, we couldn't really give it you, but we'll give it you now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see somebody who could potentially deserve that award. It's Robert Lewandowski last mm-hmm. year. Politics arguably kept him away from that. Most expect him to become the Ballon d'Or
0: champion, not to be, and has time run out for the poll? Possibly, Possible. Possible. Like, like I said, he's another one that that he was at the peak of his powers, but he never got a lucky. But the reason he ever got a lucky, because he had Ronaldo and Messi sharing it, and all the politics behind that, and lots of good players like that never, never achieve what they should have done, and, and that's the problem, you know. For FIFA, uh, it, it's making sure that that uh, voting system is is transparent, uh, and you know people get the recognition they deserve. Yeah, you want people to get the recognition, don't you? Because for so long it was just
1: Messi, Ronaldo, Messi, Ronaldo. They flew Modric in there, and it almost felt like he won it that year. Mm to give the other two players a break because they've monopolised it so much. But at that stage, Messi and Ronaldo were arguably still at the peak of the powers and, and should have perhaps won that award. Whereas Robert Lewandowski last year, it really did feel like he deserved it. But nonetheless, he didn't get it. Looking at some of the other players in the top ten, Mane, great year for Liverpool, mm. winning AFCON as well, bagging second place. De Bruyne are in third, Salah in fifth, Mbappe in sixth. He's obviously embroiled in a massive issue with PSG at the moment. Last year, he looked destined to head towards Real Madrid, didn't they? He said that the Bernabeu was his dream destination. Alas, it didn't happen for him. PSG offered him a ridiculous contract in which he was the owner of the project and therefore could make incredible decisions regarding the team in terms of managerial situations transfer targets etc giving a, a player pretty much unparalleled power in football that we've never really seen it but either way, still not the number one on the planet and we don't know
0: where his future hangs here yeah ambap is a, a strange one isn't he is he's, he's, he's a top top player and he, he should be kind of reaching his peak but he seems to have a lot of power at, at, at psg and uh, will he need to move away to 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 reach that uh, you know Top spot that that people talk about is another one that you know possibly if, if he gets the opportunity, if he comes to the Premier League and lights it up, then obviously we can say he's one of the greatest of all time. But the longer he doesn't come, you know, the people uh, will will get twitchy and they'll and they will say, Well, can he do it in the Premier League just like Messi? You know, it is, it is the same situation, but I suppose Mbappe has years on his side, so he could come in the next couple of years and, and when he's. You know more towards his peak, uh, but it is a strange situation at, at PSG, and you're kind of hoping that, that obviously he can either sort that out or he moves on and possibly to a Premier League team. Possibly now looking at seven of eight, two Real Madrid men,
1: two players who made a massive impact in the Champions League final. Courtois, of course, producing one of the all-time great goalkeeping performances. It felt like his gloves were. Just uh, superhuman almost because he was mm. keeping absolutely everything out. Any other goalkeeper potentially could have conceded four, five, or six. If you remember that night, Liverpool were absolutely relentless in Paris and he kept Real Madrid in that game. And then Vaniscus, eighth place. He obviously scored the goal to win Real, that fixture. So, with those performances in mind, could they possibly have deserved to go a little bit further up this table? Neymar, for example, has said that his Brazilian teammate, Vinicius, does deserve to be further up. And Cortar, potentially,
0: testament to the fact that goalkeepers don't always get the credit they deserve. The question is, has Vinicius gone to that next level, James? And for me, he's a good player, but he's not a great one. So maybe that kind of level is, is 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 probably to be expected courtois our goal is sex enough to win a ballon d'Or. i probably have to say no the likes of peter smichael david seaman um top top goalies like Buffon, um, you know have they ever won a ballon d'Or? probably not so you know who you know who it says that he deserves i think obviously there's a voting process and and I suppose for the uh, you know the highlights, uh, the goal scorers are the one because you want to see goals being scored. Uh, the goalkeeper is always the one who, who um, usually picks last in a game. It would be hard to kind of turn that round to become a sexy top goalkeeper that the sponsors and, and FIFA would like to be be seen as the poster boy. But fair play to him is is a, a fantastic goalkeeper. Like you said, European Cup last season he, he was tremendous against Liverpool. Uh, but in reality. Do we want a goal to goalkeeper to be the face of a uh, FIFA? I'd probably say no. It's
1: difficult, isn't it? Because what do you do as a goalkeeper? Do you just bear in mind the fact that you you're never going to achieve it, no matter what you do. It's a difficult position to play for for the likes of your Buffons and your, and your Eike is the great players that we've had hmm. in recent times. But anyway, moving along the list, nine, Luka Modric, the former winner, we discussed him before, and then Erling Haaland at 10. And how many years are we going to have to wait till this man's picking up the award himself? And could he even win it the next time it comes around?
0: Yeah, I think if he carries on, he's, it. he's going to win it next year. and if he, Obviously, it's come too late for him this year, but it is a, kind of a, a stepping stone. You get yourself in there, in that top 10, people know you're about it at the moment he's lighting up Man City he's lighting up Europe with all his goals so people will be taking notice that it kind of just depends on how Man City do and and how he does throughout the season if he continues to score two goals again James you know it, it's, it's certainly a you know a gimme for, for me but we'll have to wait and see it, it's, it's a long way in it till uh, May or whenever they decide who's going to win the Dallandor so it's uh, we'll see if he keeps banging them in who knows who
1: knows, Rob? But anyway, that's all the football for this week. Now we're going to move on to boxing.
0: So, James, let's now talk boxing. There's only one place to start with the boxing this week. Early in the week, Tyson Fury announced his third fight with Derek Chisora. You're always supporting the Gypsy King on the show, but what do you make of this matchup? Yeah, Rob. Uh, for years, it's actually my four-year anniversary
1: of being on the Sports Zone. There's a little fat for oh, you. Yeah. In- <laughs> Thank you very much, Rob. You can pop me a bottle of champagne later. But <laughs> since the very first time I was on the show, I was championing Tyson Fury. It was that year he fought his first fight with Deontay Wilder. And if you remember back, the entire narrative in the bill it was... Fury coming back from depression, that massive weight loss, jumping in the wild and fighting it, being this incredible, inspirational story. And that still stands. However, this is nothing short of absolutely pathetic.
2: Mm.
1: And for everybody that loves Tyson Fury, myself included, I think we're all a little bit confused, a little bit upset, a little bit aggravated by this, Rob, because it makes zero sense whatsoever Fury flung that carrot in front of us, didn't he? And he got us all to buy on just the possibility of this fight with Anthony Joshua finally being made. And it wasn't to be. And it was taken away from us. And deep down, I think we all knew it wasn't going to happen. But we had this thing hanging over us of, okay, fair enough, he's not going to fight Joshua, but hopefully he can get in with another big name on December 3rd. And, And there were people out there who we wanted to see him take on. And he's not gone for any of them he's ended up taking on a man in Derek Chisora who he's fought and beaten twice already the second time in a pretty abysmal fight Fury fought Southpaw won every single round the fans booed for 11 three minute segments because it was so boring and ultimately Chisora's corner had to pull him out that was back in 2014 it's 8 years on from that Tyson Fury's better Derek Chisora is worse he's also older He's gone through the mill. Just two fights ago, he was put down three times by Joseph Parker. And it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. We were promised the Joshua fight, and we've been shoveled this nonsense instead. It, it, and it really puts into perspective how Tyson Fury feels about the public and the way he's tried to spin this Anthony Joshua narrative of these fake deadlines he was posting on social media. He didn't post any deadlines for Derek Chisora. He was happy to give Delboy all the time in the world... Because it's a pretty easy fight. It based the question whether he ever wanted this Anthony Joshua fight, or whether he was just trying to paint uh, AJ in a bad light. And all of Tyson Fury's fans, in bulk, are turning against him for this one, and myself included, because I'm really upset
0: with it. Obviously, you say your fans are turning against him. Do you think that's a a thing that's going to weapon? And do you think it, it's how do you think he's going to do financially out of this?
1: It's frustrating because you'd want it to bomb, wouldn't you? Because it's just a ridiculous fight. However, it's looking like it's going to do okay. Frank Warren's revealed that it sold about 50,000 tickets. I went on to the Ticketmaster queue just to see how many it would do. I'm not going to be going to this event, but (laughs) just out of curiosity, and there was legitimately 50,000 people in that queue. So it's going to do well. Uh, The casual fans, by the looks of it, are going to buy into this. Derek Chisora, I suppose, is, is a big name. The hardcore fans are frustrated because they know that this is basically the worst fight that could possibly have been made. I don't know how well it will do on the pay-per-view buys. There's a good co-main event which could bulk them up a little bit. We'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. But the fight itself, I think many boxing fans are going to be hard-pressed to, to buy this one.
0: Who should have Who should fought Frory fought instead?
1: Well, it's annoying because Frank Warren was trying to spin the box wreck narrative in the press conference, which means absolutely nothing, and he knows that. The WBC rankings are the opponents that Fury has to pick between, and I've got the top 15 in front of me right now, and we'll just have a look through them to see if there are any options. Warren Ruiz in one and two. We know an offer was never made to Andy Ruiz, but those two men are going to fight each other, so we'll give him a bit of a pass. Hellenius in five, obviously he's just been knocked out wider by Wilder. But in three, we've got Frank Sanchez and uh, the Russian Matmodov. Two great opponents. He could have fought either of them. Anthony Joshua, Dylan White in six and seven. Okay, we know why they didn't happen. Then at seven, eight, and uh, eight, nine, and ten, three more terrific options. The Otto Wallin rematch could have made sense. Wallin very early beat Tyson Fury. Fans will remember that that cut that was pretty bad. But deserves it. He's coming off a big win against uh, Tony Yoka in France. And then Koskabutsky, a Kazakhstani, unbeaten eighteen and zero. Southport again, a great opponent. Parker and Ortiz in eleven and twelve, coming off losses. But then you've got. Uh, Michael Hunter at 13, an American, a great fight, a beat fear in the amateurs, that would have made sense. And even at 15, Hergovic coming off a loss against uh, Zilly Zhang in the eyes of the public, I know he won it on paper, that would have made sense. And even Manuel Shaw in at 20,
0: uh,
1: at least he would have been a fresh opponent. Derek Chisora is outright the worst opponent that could have been picked.
0: So do you think this is more about moulding his, le- his legacy rather than... Playing, fighting somebody who's going to challenge him.
1: It's all about finances isn't it? I mean from a legacy perspective what does Chisora give him? He's beat him twice what, what does it prove to beat him a third time? I mean a better legacy win would be avenging the loss from the amateurs against Michael Hunter or going toe to toe with Martin Bacoli or proving he can do a better job on
0: Otto Wallen. This Chisora fight is just so bizarre It
1: makes so little sense.
0: Does it not give us a modern-day uh, Rumble in the Jungle, Mad- Muhammad, Al- Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser? but a modern-day one? I mean, from uh, ironically,
1: uh, Derek Zora fights quite a lot like Joe Fraser stylistically. Hmm. But from a trilogy perspective, yes, we've just had this one with Deontay Wilder, and a lot of people said that we didn't need the third fight. But that trilogy matchup lived up to all expectations, but there's differences here. Deontay Wilder has one-punch knockout power. Even if he's losing every single second of a fight, he can switch the lights off in a second. Mm. So it actually enhanced Tyson Fury's legacy going in with him for a third time. Whereas Chisora, we saw in the second fight, he's got absolutely nothing to give to Fury. There's nothing he can do to beat Tyson Fury. And, you know, maybe if Fury's led on the canvas on December 3rd, I'll have to eat those words. But in my opinion, there is nothing Del Boy can do to win this fight.
0: On the plus side, uh, it's a cracking coal event. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, it is, and
1: maybe some of those hardcore boxing fans are on the fence. Maybe they'll they'll come around and buy it because of this. Daniel Dubois defending his WBA regular title for what it's worth against Michael Hunter. Frank Warren, Bill, and this is two heavyweight world title fights we all know deep down that that daniel dubois belt is not a world title fight but regardless it's an interesting task kevin Lorena, a tricky southpaw from south africa held the ibo belt at cruiserweight again not a legitimate world title but he's built together a good run in his native country he's just stepped up to heavyweight put a couple of good wins together against marius wakin and bogdan dinu and he deserves a big opportunity Daniel Dubois obviously has the skills and the power to put anyone away, but Lorena Asalpo is tricky. He should give Daniel Dubois some problems. I'm expecting the Brit to overcome this, but Lorena could pick off a few of the uh, early rounds. The only negative, of course, is that uh, Lorena failed a drug test a few years ago and he he didn't suffer any
0: sort of ban for that. So I've got an issue with that. But aside from that, I think this is a good fight. More saddening news. We've just found out another massive fight that's followed by the wayside. Tell us about that. Yeah, a few weeks ago, Rob, it looked like we were going to get Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury
1: and Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence before Christmas. I mean, this really is a matchup of two of the best fighters on the planet in any weight division. And for me, you can't make a better fight in all the boxing. It looked like we were finally going to get this. Then it was pushed back to February. Okay, not ideal, but at least we're going to get it. And then out of nowhere, uh, Terence Crawford signs to fight a deal with David Avanisian on BLK Prime, a streaming network that nobody's really heard of, so it'll be interesting to see if the fight can even go ahead on that, considering that Crawford's being promised $10 million plus, so how they're going to make up that revenue, I'm not entirely sure. Avanesian is a good fighter, and he deserves an opportunity, and this is not Fury Tezora, this is a legitimate good fight, a good test for Crawford, one he should come through, but it's not the fight we wanted, we wanted Crawford spent, and it's a big black eye for boxing that this hasn't happened. Hopefully, we can you know, come back to this in February, and maybe we can get it to go ahead, but I won't count your chickens, because these two men have been negotiating for over a year, and they've not managed to get it over the line.
0: We've uh, got a couple of big fights coming up on the 26th of November. Talk us through them. Yeah, we most certainly have, Rob. It's a shame that they clash. But Frank Warren is
1: headlining at the O2 Arena with John Ryder versus Zach Parker. That'll be a fantastic domestic scrap. Ryder been on a good run recently, beating everybody. Most felt that he should have become a world champion the night that he fought Callum Smith. And now he's working his way towards another world title shot. This for the WBO interim title. Zach Parker, since a controversial win... Uh, years ago over Daryl Williams, he's coming to his own he's looking better and better and he deserves this opportunity, and then Eddie Hearn is going at Wembley Arena, Nathan Gorman and Fabio Wardley on the undercard of an event topped by Dillian White versus Jermaine Franklin the unbeaten American, hasn't got too many names on his resume, Ryder Booker's on there Jerry Fonnes is on there but that's not to say he
0: can't rise to the occasion and coming off a loss, I think this is a good contest for the body snatcher Yep. Final boxing question Boxing and Hollywood Mix again as the next Creed trailer Has been released and features two massive Boxing names, tell us about that
1: Yeah we do, in the trailer, Tony Bellew And Canelo Alvarez will both appear In the latest chapter of the Rocky Saga, following on from the last film I'm led to believe the plot revolves around uh, One of Creed's old school Pals coming out of prison and then Perhaps unrealistically is ready To fight for a world title within a couple of weeks of that Bizarre, however Rob Controversial news Sylvester Stallone will not be reprising his role as Rocky, which is deeply mm. upsetting.
0: Hmm. I mean, is, is he in it? Is he not in it at all? No, he's not in it at all. Wow. That's a, that's a blow. You think obviously him being in, you think he'd be in it, obviously being the uh, face of boxing in the, in the Hollywood world. But I suppose the age, the advancing ages is now. Um, he's not going to get in the ring or would he? I mean, he's been playing the
1: coach, hasn't he, in the last few films. And I think mm. we don't, we don't like to see Sylvester Stallone in there. I mean, these actors, there's, it doesn't matter how old they are, in, in a sense, Rob, does it? Because we just want to see them keep coming back and back and back and back to give us that bit of his nostalgia, but he didn't feel there was any sort of prominent role for him in the film he didn't think it made sense for him so he's turned it down which is a shame but you know hey I'll hopefully we'll see
0: him again another time yeah it's uh one of them things obviously boxing world and the movie world uh, move on you think you could have had him as a like a like a cameo sort of sat in, his, sat in his house and the creed could have could have come in and had a chat about his you know potential uh fight or whatever but i'm not i'm not a director am a james i don't make these stories Well, perhaps you should be a director, Rob, because I would have liked to have seen that. (laughs) That's all the boxing chat, and now we're going to move on to UFC, James. And you've just finished watching the UFC 280. The main main event didn't disappoint, did it? It most certainly
1: didn't. For those who don't know, this week we're recording on Saturday night, so I'm fresh. Coming off the action at Abu Dhabi in a terrific main event, Islam Makachev has announced himself to the world with a stunning performance over Charles Oliveira. The Brazilian came into this one, despite the title being vacant, most people still held him in high regard as the best fighter on the planet. who's looked so good in recent times, beating Michael Chandler, beating Dustin Poirier, beating Justin Gaethje, and most had him as the favourite against Makachev. I actually felt that the Russian had a lot to offer in this one. I couldn't quite get my head around why people were writing him off and his Sambo style was was capable of overcoming Oliveira's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He secured a submission against the man with the most submissions in UFC history, so a pretty exceptional win. Khabib, his his mentor, his spiritual guide helped him overcome and win this uh, belt and he'll be hard-pressed now to find people who are going to beat Makachev. Can
0: anybody beat the new champs?
1: I really don't know Rob, I really don't know, if you look through that division you've got Dustin Poirier, stylistically he's lost to uh, Oliveira and Khabib, great grapplers, Islam Makachev is on that level and you know probably better than Oliveira as we've seen tonight in a similar style to Khabib so I don't know if Poirier would beat him, you've got Benil Dariushin there who potentially deserves a shot, Justin Gaethje as well, perhaps his biggest threat in the division for me is Michael Chandler because he's got the grappling and the striking to really, really give Makachev a good fight. I think that's the best one in the division. Yeah, incredibly. It looks like the Russians' next fight is going to be Australia. Yeah, it looks like he's going to be taking on Alexander Volkanovsky. The pair got in the octagon together. Volkanovsky, for me, too small, Rob. Uh, the UFC featherweight champion. A legitimately fantastic fighter. A pound-for-pound pound great. But he's five foot six. Oliver is a big five foot eleven. And, uh, yes, Volkanovsky probably has the slight edge in striking, but I just feel like the Russians' overall size is going to be enough to, to really lay a beating on
0: Volkanovsky. But you never know,
1: with that whole crowd in front of him, perhaps uh, Alexander the Great
0: can put on a show. Unfortunately, an injury is ruined at the cold main event.
1: Yeah, it did. Aljamain stealing TJ Dillashaw. This one was really brewing up to be a great fight in the build-up. The two men despised each other. Uh, Aljamain looking to cement his place as the best bantamweight on the planet after his, his controversial fights with Petty Yan. And TJ Dillashaw wanting to prove his own legacy, looking for a third-world title off the back of a steroid ban, he uh, tested positive for EPL, which for those who don't know, increases the white blood cells in your body, it allows you to perform at basically a superhuman rate, in terms of fitness, it's the same drug that Joe Miller, Pot four in boxing, that's how he at 400 pounds was throwing more punches than anyone in the division, and the same drug that Lance Armstrong in the cycling world tested positive for, it gives you superhuman fitness, so TJ's reputation is in the mud a little bit this was an opportunity to redeem himself, but sadly his shoulder popped out within about 10 seconds of the fight, and from that point onwards, Aljamain Sterling uh, put a bit of a beat down on him, and ultimately secured the stoppage, so uh, a good win for Aljo, but
0: perhaps I'll run it back later down the line yeah, final UFC question. It was a big robbery call in one of the biggest fights of the undercard. Tell us, tell us about about that. Yeah, the walls, and I feel for
1: Sean O'Malley a little bit because he put in a good performance, but ultimately I, I don't think he won the fight. Uh, Petter it's a real sliding doors moment for him a couple of fights ago against Aljamain Sterling. He's cruising through. And then he throws this illegal knee, which gets him disqualified that he needn't have thrown He was way up in the fight. And from that point onwards, he, he's gone a bit of a downward spiral. He, he failed to recapture the belt in the Aljamain-Sterling rematch. And tonight, he's lost a fight, which most people felt he should have won. Uh, the two men traded incredible blows. It looked like both of them could have been knocked out at any second. It really was incredible. But ultimately, Sean Amali's got the uh, decision win.
0: And he'll likely challenge Sterling for the belt next. Yep, so that's all the uh, UFC chat and now we're going to talk Rugby League with Paul Whiteside. Yep, so let's talk Rugby League. Now we're joined by Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, you know what an exciting time it is for Rugby League. The World Cup's um, started and it's full of exciting games.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. It's, It's gathering momentum all the time and you know, particularly opening round games. It was great win for Ireland last weekend, and, and England have had you know winning this weekend as well for England. two wins on the spin. And the, the performances are getting better. There's you know there's been some real stars coming through, particularly uh, Do- Dom Young who's looked tremendous, and you know one or two others. So it's it's, it's looking good. It is it's, it's gearing up now. The big game next weekend, and the they've already qualified you know all but mathematics for the quarterfinals, but they won't be taking uh, Greece lightly next weekend. Another new ground to play rugby league at in. Sheffield United's Bramall Lane so that'll be exciting as well so yeah it's, uh, it's hotting up nicely
0: Yep England's played two matches they beat Samoa 60 points to 6 and then beat France 42 points to 18 two good results two good wins and just what we needed for this World
2: Cup yeah that's right I mean there have been patches in the, the France game where you know coach Sean Wayne might be a bit disappointed you know because seen a couple of tries but you know you, you've got to get better as the tournament goes on because you won't be able to afford to slip up against you know like some Australian New Zealand if you, if you play them because uh, they'll they're you know they'll take advantage so, so yeah it was good to get the result but there'll be, there'll be bits in there that, that Sean wants to polish up on the rest of the coaching staff but you know they've been very exciting to watch up to now in the two games and you know the the crowd have really enjoyed it. It was a big crowd at Bolton the weekend as well. It's twenty odd thousand there, which is really encouraging. So everyone's really enjoying it. The games I've seen on, on the television have been great. We're spreading the spreading the, the rugby league gospel to different parts of the country, and uh, yeah, it's really exciting midweek rugby league as well with the group games being on. It's, uh, it's great and great to see Jamaica get over for their, for their first try at the, uh, the weekend albeit in defeat it was uh, tremendous to see them celebrating that trial like they won the World Cup so it just shows you what the what this competition means to, to the, everybody taking part in it
0: What do you think of the Salford's uh, players playing the World Cup so far and their performances?
2: Yeah I think I think they've been great I think Callum Watkins has, has, has really shone um, you know for a, for a player who's He's sort of towards the, the twilight of his career now? He, he's done it all in his career and made a great comeback this, this season, hasn't he? And uh, I think he's he's not looked out of place at all in the team. It was great to see Mark Steed and Andy play playing the weekend. Huh? I thought Mark Sneed was great. He kicked really, really well and worked really well with George Williams and the halves as well. I mean, George had a struggling season, really, at Warrington, but he's really performed well in the World Cup, so we'll have to see how, how that selection process goes for Mark next week. Uh, Andy Ackers, I thought, was tremendous. He really showed up in, uh, in, in the attacking stages of Hooker, coming on to uh, to replace Michael McLaurin. Those two worked really well, you know, changing over. McLaurin was good in the first half, and Ackers, I thought, was great when he came on. So, so yeah, the, the three Salford players... In the England side, have been great. It's been great to see, you know, sprinkling of solver players around as well. You know, Morgan Escray, I thought looked a real live wife for France. We've seen Reese Williams playing really well. Ryan Braid has been playing for Scotland. So, and one or two others. So it's been it's been great. You know, I've never known this amount of uh, solver players to be representing internationals before. It's just just shows you how well the side worked in the the twenty twenty two season.
0: Yeah, 10 uh, Salford players in the World Cup. Nine that are staying at the club, but 10 in total. Uh, That shows how far we've come. We are now an opportunity club that gives opportunity. And you don't have to move clubs to play at the highest level.
2: No, that's right, that's right, well we've been playing playing at a higher level in the Super League haven't we, we've been doing really well, We've one game away from a grand final so it just shows we've been mixing it with the big boys in the top league and, and when you do that you, your players will catch the you know, selector's eyes won't they and the public of uh, rugby league and the coaches and, and the media as well so uh, you know the, these guys, I mean Callum Watkins had a great season and Mark Sneed has as well and and Andy Aks, particularly in the second half of the season, has been the fourth hooker in the league, hasn't he? So I think all three of them were, were justified in, in playing for England anyway. So, uh, so yeah, and it's uh, it's it's been a good story so far, and it's a story that's not ended yet. I mean, how good would it be to, to get to a World Cup final and, and hopefully win it for the first time since 1972, 50 years since we won the World Cup. So that would be a massive story, and that was Great Britain who won it in 1972, not England. So you could be making history there. So it's you know it could be an exciting few weeks going up.
0: Yeah England face Greece this week you know opportunity to maybe rotate give a few more players game time
2: yeah, that's right. I mean, don't disrespect Greece at all. They've got some, you know, proven players in there who play in the NRL and playing a good competition, a good standard of rugby. But, you know, looking at the fixtures so far and the results that have gone, England should be able to get the win. And, and there's no doubt about that. So, so Sean may might want to uh, to polish things up. But I think he said in an interview at the weekend he's got a really good 24-man squad there. So, he knows that every every player in that squad is good enough to play. So it's probably not a question of rotating, it's probably a question of getting the, the best 13 or 17 that he can get out of that 24, the best combinations, because once you've got past Greece and you're into the quarterfinals, that's when the bigger tests and the bigger challenges are going to come. So he'll want to make sure that he's got his best side for that quarterfinal and best side for the semifinal. Obviously, you've got to take one game as it comes, as, that, as Sean said. But, but yeah, he'll want to work on that. And, and I'm pretty sure that the team will select itself.
0: Yeah, let's talk about our local side now, Salford Devils. And the big news is Paul Rowley and his assistant, Kurt Haggerty, have agreed new three-year deals to stay at Salford Devils after a fantastic uh, season where they reached the semi-final uh, of the, the Super League playoffs. Uh, what an achievement for the club. And it's great we've got him tied down and assistant down for the next three years
2: yeah he certainly is I mean when Paul came in I wasn't too sure whether it would be a long term appointment I wasn't. I didn't really know he'd been at the club a couple of years in like a consultancy role and I think Paul's grown into the role I, I think he's really really enjoyed it this season and you know the, the supporters they've took to him and particularly Kurt Agarty as well I think Kurt's a a real, real knowledgeable rugby league guy. He's only a very young guy. He's well, he's his early thirties. He had to sort of retire quite early, but he's a, he coached at amateur level. He's coached Super League, coached for, for Lee as well. And you know, he's he works really well with Paul. They've got a really good understanding. And I think they both enjoyed the season. Uh, they enjoy being the underdogs. And, and next season, perhaps we won't be so much the surprise package next season. Perhaps teams are going to be a bit more wary of us. But I'm sure Paul and Kurt. Uh, will do a great job again. Recruitment uh, has been slow up to now for next season, but you know the good thing is the the majority of the squad is staying anyway. Um, and we had you know really good side last season, and you know before we've had good teams. You've got to the end of the season and lots of players have departed and moved on, and you've had wholesale changes. So the good thing this time is there's not really wholesale changes. You've got the majority of that nucleus of that squad are still going to be there, and then uh, one or two players coming in as well for them to work with.
0: Yeah, talking about players coming in. Adam Sidlow we signed a two-year deal uh, to come back to Salford at Devils. He played for Salford in 2008 and 2012. He played for Bradford, Toronto. Lee, he was their captain last year. He describes his uh, journey back to Salford as an unfinished business. Um, are you happy with his signing?
2: Yeah, I, I think when Adam left, um, he did he leave to go to Bradford, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, Yeah. I didn't think he fulfilled his potential at Solford he, he, he was looking good, he's a big lad uh, but then he moved on so we probably not didn't see the best of him so yeah he needs to come back now and, and, and like he says do some unfinished business, he's, he's a very experienced player now you know, in his 30s now, and got an awful lot of games behind him as well for a number of clubs. So he's come in as, as probably one of the elder statesmen of the squad, really. You know, we've got some young players in there, some young forwards, you know, particularly Oli Partington, who's come into the club. And, you know, they'll they want to learn off people like Adam Sidlow. So I think it's a good sign. You know, Paul Rolder knows him really, really well. Um, you know, he's a, he's a good bloke. He's a good, honest bloke. Um, and I think that's why Paul signed him. He's not a maverick. He's not somebody who's going to whinge and mow and demand a ridiculous amounts of money. He's coming to play rugby league. He's a rugby league pro, and that's what that's what you need. And you know, everybody needs that grit and determination in the pack. And I think that's what Adam's going to bring to the squad.
0: Yep. Obviously, it's uh, it describes unfinished business. Thirty four. Uh, he's not the youngest, but obviously he's got great experience, captain Ali last year. And maybe that's what this uh, Salford pack needs is experience uh, at this stage of their development.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, in sport, to me, if you, if you're fit and, and you still got it, age is just a number. You know, he's thirty-four, but he, he could be, be have, a, have a body of a twenty-four-year-old if he's kept himself fit. So, so yeah, he's got the experience and he's probably got the hunger as well. He's been in the championship for a, for a few years and, and played around, you know, since he left Salford in the championship with Bradford and one or two other clubs. So another big chance at Super League, you know, playing for a side that did really well last season and got to within one game of a grand final. I bet he's relishing the chance to come back and, as you said, pr- provide some unfinished business. So uh, he's an experienced lad, he's an aggressive lad, big lad, about six foot four, six foot five. So might be taller than that, actually. He's quite, he's quite a tall lad, big lad, and um, I'm sure we're going to see him uh, busting down the middle of the uh, next season for Salford.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, the other big news in Rugby League is the IMF restructuring, uh, where you talk about teams that are Group A uh, that can't get relegated if they finish Boston, but Group teams in Group B and teams in Group C can. Uh, we don't know where Salford will be placed, whether in the Group A or at Group B or a Group C. But with everything going on at the club behind the scenes, you think they'd be strong contenders for a Group A spot?
2: Yeah, I think so, Rob. Uh, we should get to see how this develops we, over the next the year. Or so we know in 2023, um, it's just going kind to of be business as usual. I think, far as I'm concerned, anyway. It's now what I've heard. So uh, we'll probably find out during that season what what sort of you know letter we're going to get so yeah the club's just got to keep progressing as best they can you know we've got a really good stadium there we've got a ladies team coming through now we've got you know reserve side that are doing really well we're starting to get that young sort of production line going now it's going to take time but uh, but no things are going in the right direction crowds are on the up as well so you know, we can only do our best, can't we? And I think over the last 12 months, we've made a heck of a lot of progress on the pitch and off the pitch. So uh, you just got to keep doing your best, and that's what the club are doing at the moment. We've got some, some good people there running the ship, and you know, there's been talk about investment and things like that. But we'll have to just watch the space on that one. You know, We're not going to be there you know, begging for investment if someone comes along all well and good. But the people who are in the club at the moment are doing a terrific job.
0: Yeah. Talking about the ladies, uh, they uh, have been promoted to Super League 2 after winning the Championship and winning the League Cup. Fantastic achievement for Chris Bates' ladies after a fantastic debut season.
2: Yeah, certainly. And hopefully now they're in in that Super League sort of... um... Aye, they're going to get a bit more, uh, a bit more media coverage and a bit more attention because being the league that we in last season, we, we all knew about it, but I suppose the the wider public of rugby league didn't. So you probably get that bit more exposure now, which is good. And uh, and yeah, you're moving along and you, you you're mixing it with with bigger sides now, aren't you? And you're, uh, you're sort of one step away from the real big prize of the of the Super League one, which the the, the real big sides are in. So yeah, it's it's a real. Um, it's a real good news story from the season that they've had and and to you know for the start of the season if you go back this time 12 months ago and you said that I think people would have been really surprised you know when they played that first game against Switzerland but to see how they've finally come on the journey since then has been tremendous and the journey continues in 2023 it's going to be really really exciting the, the group that are in some terrific sides in there and I think they'll hold their own though. I'm sure they'll do really well
0: Solvira Devils Foundation released their impact report, which is basically a report of what they do in the local area. The highlights of the report is 40,000 participants in projects, courses, and activities which they run. They delivered over 2,000 objects to vulnerable people during the pandemic. 250 people are in the Rising Star campaign they run. They've obviously engaged with over 6,000 school children in the local area, with half getting ticket offers, and they have also a great links with the amateur clubs in the area so it's great that the software devils foundation are doing this kind of thing and it's kind of a great link between them and the local community
2: yeah it certainly as you do a terrific job don't they and like we said before there's an awful lot of people that live in the area and it's a real big uh, big thing to tap into and they seem like they're doing a tremendous job and, and you know if we are to get that that category a thing this is the thing you know we, we need to be doing we need to be working with the community and growing the club don't we so the foundation do a tremendous job in that and long may it continue
0: yeah there is also a exhibition running at the stadium at the moment regarding Salford Devils history and the history of rugby league if you want to go and look at the things that they got set up down there you can go monday monday to tuesday 4 till 7, Wednesday 11 till 2, Thursday 11 till, till 2, and then Friday by appointment. It's great that they've got this kind of thing set up for the fans of Soulfred Devil so they can have a look back at the history because Soulfred Devil's history is rich.
2: Oh it certainly is Rob, it certainly is, it's something I'd like to go and see, I'm open to go to it the next couple of weeks, to so if I can, and, and yeah we've got a rich history haven't we, I mean, you know the 1930s side, the Red Devils and you know the, the Lance Todd and things like that and go through to the 70s, the Quality Street Gang and the two championships and oh it's, uh, it's a great history that Salford, uh, Salford Rugby League Club I've got in the area and uh, and yeah long way that continue but if you can get down to that I think it'd be fascinating. I think there's some real good stuff on show.
0: Yeah, Hull-Kingston Rovers, uh, Salford will face at the Magic Weekend, 3rd of June, 1.30 kick-off. Uh, it's great, that obviously, Hull-Kyar and another fantastic team, and it will be a, certainly a fantastic uh, game to watch.
2: Yeah, we're kicking it off the weekend as well. Aren't we? I think we're first on again, so an early early start for us. But uh, but yeah, it should be it should be a good game against Old Kingston Rovers. We played them a few years ago at the uh, Magic Weekend at Liverpool, didn't we, at Anfield? So, uh, so yeah, we knew the the rivalry again with them. It's always a tough game against Rovers, and uh, I'm sure that'll be another excitement to kick off the Magic Weekend.
0: Obviously, with the IMF saying the Magic Weekend will probably end, do you think that's a, a, a sad thing or a good thing?
2: To uh, so basically I'm not too fussed, Robert. I enjoy going, but uh, perhaps it's run its course a bit now. I don't know. It's it's a good weekend, but if they've got other ideas and other projects, you know, one of them is an international break and things like that. I think that's for the better of the game. You know, particularly the the international game needs to grow. So, uh, you know, whatever happens out of that, I think it'll be positive.
0: Yeah, it's exciting times. Obviously, the Saltford Devils reserves are trying to uh, recruit players. Trials set up, as well as LAD as well. They've got trials set up as well for potential players. It's great that the club uh, have, have got this sorted and they're kind of engaging with people who want to play at the highest level.
2: Yeah, certainly. As like I said before, it's helping to grow the club and helping to grow that pathway. It's, it's a long pro- project, isn't it? But it can take you know a number of years as well. But seems to be going in the right direction at the moment, and it's really positive.
0: And obviously, with a minute to go, uh, Paul, you know we, we're looking back at sort of the season for Saltford Devils. What a season it's been! And obviously, with this World Cup, it just uh, the excitement just carries on.
2: Yeah, it does. And particularly when you've got players involved as well, I mean, it's always exciting in the World Cup. But I think it just brings it a bit closer to home when you've got players from from your side it involved. It doesn't you can keep your eye on as well. So it's exciting for them. And it's been a, it has been a great season. Obviously, we fell a bit short, but it's been tremendous. And I can't wait for twenty twenty three.
0: Yeah, and with 30 seconds to go, Tim Lafarge scored twice for Samoa as well. What season is had?
2: Oh, it's been tremendous, tremendous signing and I'm glad we've got him on a, on a, on a long deal because he's a special player.
0: He is. He is a special player, Tim Laffey. But we've got lots of internationals. Like you said, 10 Salford players at the World Cup. I I would say you're listening to this and I'm sure there'll be lots of tickets available. Make sure you get down and support our our boys and hopefully we'll be uh, celebrating an England uh, World Cup win uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Big thanks for joining us on the Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. ¡Suscríbete al